Let me also welcome you, as I did my last guest, uh, welcome you to World War III. How's it going for you? You enjoying it so far? Um, so far, so not terrible uh, over here at any rate. And uh, to tell you what, I join you from the from the end of the world because uh, something that I don't know if you're, you or your listeners picked up on, but apparently there's a meme going around that March 4th, 2014 is supposed to be the date that the economy collapses. Yeah. According to the Washington Times from October 29th, 2012. And it's a kind of bizarre date that seems pretty much picked out of a hat. But there it, there it is. You can go to the Washington Times and check it out. March 4th, 2014. And hey, I'm across the dateline. So it is March 4th, 2014. I am coming to you from the end of the world. Any signs? Is the Nikkei? Are people panicking in the streets over there? Yeah, not 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 quite yet. Not that I see at any rate. Maybe maybe the collapse has happened and the zombie apocalypse is starting and I'm just late to the party. But uh, I'll let you, you know, know if it happens. You know how that snowball rolls downhill with all the bad news. Um, Wall Street is down 200 points today. Um, I don't believe it, James. I'm sorry. I, I guess it's too late to do anything about it if I did. Right? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe so. Well, I, I also am not a fan of predicting the end of the world. But uh, but at any rate, it's an interesting prediction, especially as it comes right here as we sit here on the cusp of, who knows, World War III. That's what a lot of people are talking about anyway. If the Mooney Times says it, it must be true. <laughs> I, I, I haven't read Rowan Scarborough or these guys for a very long time. They've, I've had them all on the show and assaulted them over working for Reverend Sun Young Moon. They didn't like that very much for some reason. So I don't know. Odd. I, I can't imagine why. Let's start with uh, updates on the Ukraine. And uh, you've been doing a lot of work on this. And this is something that's kind of right in your pocket. I saw this uh, just the other day. Pierre Omidar, your, your buddy. <laughs> he is... Uh, Apparently, according to documents, and you can go to my site and see the actual documents, co-funded the Ukraine revolution uh, groups with U.S. government documents show. And if you don't know, um, I guess that's how you pronounce his name, right? Amidar. He's Glenn Greenwald's new rich uncle, along with Jeremy Scahill and Rolling Stone's Matt Tybee. They're putting together the alternative of all the alternative media foundations. And you've been one of the people that have been critical of that. I've been suspicious. Um, others have not. So here is uh, Pierre with his fingers in the cookie jar. Yes, well, oh, how dare we ask questions about the uh, the St. Greenwald and, and all the wonderful things they're doing at The Intercept. Um, yes, for people who don't know ex exactly as you say there, uh, the, the First Look Media is the baby of Pierre Omidyar, who was the, uh, the, the, the founder of eBay and, uh, and thus the owner of PayPal and... Um, a, literally a, a billionaire, eight, I think eight and a half billion dollar fortune, something, uh, something in that range. And he has uh, said that he's going to commit uh, $250 million. That's a cool quarter of a billion dollars to First Look Media to be the, you know, new v media venture of the, the 21st century. And they're going to do wonderful, amazing new things that no one's ever thought of before. And part of this, of course, is the first $50 million of funds that have been committed to this have already gone in. And uh, part of that is The Intercept, which is the new blog of uh, Greenwald, Scahill, and Poitras to publish the Snowden documents, That 99% of which still remain unpublished, because uh, you, the unwashed masses, are not allowed to see them until they check carefully with uh, with government agencies, etc., which they are doing, by the way. So anyway, um, yes, I have been quite critical of this, and here's just another reason to be critical. Um, exactly as you talk about, the uh, documents have been published, and in fact... Um, 
This is this is kind of funny. Um, uh, Greenwald came out with a blog defending this um, by saying, well, pff, this isn't news. This has been public knowledge. It's been on his website for the last three years. So it's it's not a big deal, apparently, that that the Omidyar network is involved in funding the Ukrainian opposition to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars a pop um, over the last few years in association with the U.S. government. Um, and I think that's the important part of this story is that there's the other half of the equation there. Omidyar and the U.S. government have been funding um, the the Ukrainian opposition. And as Vic- Victoria Newland, the assistant secretary of state, who said the uh, the infamous F the EU comment, um, admitted in a uh, speech a few years ago, the U- U.S. Uh, state department has been funding the Ukrainian opposition to the tune of five billion dollars oh. over the last several years. That's five billion with a B. While they pretend to cry to Congress that they don't have any money left and they might have to, you know, start start scrapping the FAA and whatever else craziness they they try to say to people. Um, it, during that time, they're still they're paying five billion dollars to the Ukraine to give them to protesters to try to overthrow the government there. So um, these are the, this is the results. We're watching it right now. This coup and the, the civil war that's threatening in, in the Ukraine. And yes, it turns out Pierre Omidyar is one of the uh, the pieces of that puzzle. Well, Ukraine's leadership was corrupt, like all governments, liars and murderers. So why not overthrow them? Um, I, I'm asking you a rhetorical question, James. Well, but there's an but, answer to that because it's an important yeah. question. I mean, I think it's a real question because I uh, trust me, I'm not going to be defending Yanukovych or, or the Ukrainian government um, any more than I defend any government. I think you're right. They are all corrupt. They're all cronies. And there are people with real legitimate grievances. And uh, if this is a, a real legitimate overthrow of a government by the Ukrainian people, hey, all the power to them. I have nothing against that. But uh, we know, of course, from these documents and others that this is staged top to bottom, that these protesters are being fed. And in fact, there was some um, really amazing documents that were published on uh, BoilingFrogsPost.com back in early January uh, in a William Engdahl article entitled US NGO Uncovered in Ukraine Protests. And if people go there and look at this article, you can actually see the images of the handout that the protesters in Kiev were given. And uh, side by side with the handout that was given back in uh, Tahrir Square in Cairo a few years ago, literally the exact same handout of what necessary clothing and accessories protesters should be wearing. It's the exact same handout. It's just one is in um, one is in Egyptian, one is in uh, Ukrainian. I mean, it, it's just been translated. And you can actually go and see those documents. So, so, and this tra- ties back to Canvas, which was previously Otpor, which was this group that was running the uh, destabilization back in, originally with the uh, the first color revolution back in the former U- Yugoslavia back in 2000. So, um, so this is, again, a, co- a coordinated effort. We have all the documents on this. And, yep. uh, and I think you're exactly right that, yeah, Yanukovych was a bad, you know, a crony who, who definitely favored his, uh, his own son and others in his administration. There's no doubt about that. There are people with legitimate grievances, but uh, I think there's also uh, interference and it stinks to high heaven. And that's the part that I don't like. I don't like either Russia or the U.S. sticking their noses where, where they don't belong and uh, making this into an incident that really does threaten um, some sort of military confrontation that I don't think any of us want to see. Well, and they're saying it's not going to go to that direction, but um, minimally, I think we just refired up the Cold War. I'm, I'm looking at the fact that the war on terrorism has failed in the eyes of consensus, in the eyes of uh, the people of the world. And so, hey, let's go back to the Cold War. That, that'll work. You know, and here, here's really what we're talking about then. 
the founder of uh, this new media vehicle, Pierre Omidyar, is in league with who? Who who is he? I mean, who else is a part of this? It's it's uh, the usual suspect with George Soros and Zbigniew big new Brzezinski. So, I mean, what what change is this we can believe in? Yeah. The new I mean, we I'm sorry. I just got to point that out. The new prime minister, we just call him Yats. It's much easier from the uh, Timoshenko's fatherland party. <laughs> OK, <laughs> kind of Nazis. He's the new prime minister of the Ukraine. He's also um, a central banker. Yeah, and what was the first thing that he came out to say? It's, uh, uh, oh, we will, we will uh, meet all IMF obligations. That was something they, they absolutely stressed as soon as they got in and started asking for billions of dollars from the IMF. Because, uh, yeah, let's put ourselves in debt chains to the bankers. Oh, that sounds like a great plan. Mm. Well, you're going to take the money from somewhere, right? I guess um, it's either coming from Russia, as it looked like it was going to at the end of the the last uh, uh, regime, or you're going to take it from the IMF and uh, or the uh, European Union. You're going to take it, okay, on the on the chin. <laughs> you're yeah. going to take it one way or the other, apparently, if you're Ukrainian. Well, it certainly is. It's one big hot mess right now, and uh, and I don't think anyone's going to put these pieces back together um, in an orderly fashion anytime soon. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how this develops, because I, I feel that you're, you're right. I don't think this is going to be an open military confrontation or anything of that sort quite yet. But um, having said that, there's clearly there's not going to be an easy way to back down from the diplomatic position that uh, people have taken in the last few days um, with with even uh, John Kerry and others musing about the end of the G8 for Russia, um, maybe we should go back to a G7, kick Russia out. I mean, just pretty, pretty amazing things that are happening right now. And I don't know if there's a way to back down from this without uh, without someone losing face uh, and in a big way. And this is, I, I mean, I've been saying for a while now, we're looking at the, the, uh, the, the Cold War of the 21st century is going to be the sort of NATO bloc in China and Russia. Um, are going to be on the other side of that fence. So I, I think well, we're, we're already, really seeing that. All right. They're already docking ships, uh, warships in Cuba. They're looking to uh, create new bases in Central and South America. It just It's not the Cuban Missile pri- Crisis, and certainly Obama's no JFK as much as he might like to think he is. And maybe he looks in the mirror and sees that. I think he actually sees Ronald Reagan when he looks in the mirror. That's just me. Uh, but you could see and, and and who funds i mean where does all the money come from for the new bases and the new ramp up for the war and the new i mean this is uh, just in the news here what was it uh, last week that uh, obama administration is cutting the military they're really not cutting it it will cost more next year than it did this year they're using robots and space weapons uh, space war the technology and and uh, things that aren't usually spent on conventional warfare angles. But who benefits, right? Because when there's new hostilities, there's a new Cold War, there's uh, both sides ramping up and escalating their military capabilities. You know, where's the money coming from, James? Yeah, well, it, obviously it comes from the uh, the taxpayers at the end of the day, or at least they're put on the hook for the imaginary debts run up by the, the, the banksters and the governments. But uh, on that very note, I actually, I just wrote for the International Forecaster last week uh, uh, an article about the old myth that the World War II ended the, de- the Depression and uh, and the reality that it wasn't World War II that ended the Depression. It was the end of World War II that ended the Depression. And uh, and actually, the, the real boost to the American economy came in 1946-47 when they started to unwind the, 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 the war bureaucracy that had been created. They reduced uh, government spending by 61% and laid off a million uh, federal employees and, lo and behold, went through one of the biggest booms in America. 
American economic history. wonder why that is. I wonder if we can connect the dots on that, reduce government and improve uh, uh, employment. Big surprise. But but we've been fed that lie our whole lives to the point where we all internalize it. Oh, World War II ended the Depression. Because, of course, yeah, it's World War II and and wars in general are great if you happen to be one of the defense contractors that get the no-bid contracts. For everyone else in the economy, it isn't that great. But we uh, we are fed that propaganda as subtle bit of war propaganda our whole lives. The other thing that the Cold War did, I mean, it definitely put fear in the hearts of every kid that was trained to hide under his desk in a nuke drill because the Russians were going to bomb us, right? It, it uh, uh, polarized the world into East versus West, or as I call it, Oceania versus Eurasia. Um, these are actually terms that the, the UN uses, by the way. Uh, not, it's not just coming out of George Orwell's book. They, that's how they refer to us. And it also created this kind of hyper-nationalism, right, of sacrifice and, and fighting, them, uh, fighting the enemy, and it's us against them. And if you're not with us, you're with them. And, of course, we had to... These aren't the things they they didn't really play up in my World War II history, (laughs) that we had concentration camps for Japanese Americans, okay, and people that might have been under any kind of suspicion of aiding the enemy, but they didn't actually get Prescott Bush or Avril Harriman in that they they didn't go to the camps. They they went home to their mansions every day after they were funding Hitler, as we all know. But so I'm looking at this conflict now in Kiev and the Ukraine and in Crimea and certainly with Russia and China. And even I just admitted in the last hour, I I have a sense of nationalism that, okay, I know this whole thing is set up. I know it it, it, uh, it stinks to high heaven. But if I've got to choose sides, I'm certainly going to choose my own country. Right. It's kind well, of like Iranians. Iranians don't like their leadership, but they don't want us coming over there and invading them. So they back them um, to some degree because they feel their sovereignty could be on the line. Exactly right. I mean, once the bombs start falling, people will line up and rally around the flag as they always do. And I think that the they count on that reaction to a large extent. And, and so they do these types of ridiculous brinksmanship maneuvers because at the end of the day, they know people will will be on their side. And uh, I guess the cynical flip side to that equation is that uh, if you're in the alternative media movement and if you know that everything they say is a lie and if you you see the, the NATO aggression everywhere, maybe the uh, the flip side of that argument is that, well, you should just knee-jerk knee be against uh, against NATO and what and their aggression. So therefore, that makes Putin into some sort of good guy. Yeah, and, uh, right. and that's the other side of this that I see, unfortunately, um, a lot in the alternative media. There's a lot of people who, who do seem to put forward that 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 sense. Maybe they don't come out and say it, but they, they, they do generally side with Putin on things like this. And I don't think that's the answer either. I'm not I'm not saying that we have to be on on either side of that phony equation, because at the end of the day, I mean, this isn't going to work out for anyone. And I don't think that uh, that meeting aggression with aggression is going to be the answer to to our problems here. And I don't think I, ha- I want to choose. I don't want to take a bite out of either side of that uh, doo-doo sandwich because at right. the end of and the day, you, I'm just going to be eating feces. Well, here it is. Doo-doo sandwich, feces, <laughs> hot mess. And we're talking about the Brown Revolution. They, they <laughs> named, <laughs> it really did. Um, yep. Yeah, so the thing is, again, it's, uh, you know, I'm an American. Um, you know, I, as much as I complain and, and criticize the government here and, and even a lot of the, the sheeple in America, uh, the uh, Americans, as I call them, you know, this is my country, you know, and I do, um, I do plan on defending it if people are coming over the border. You know, I do plan on trying to keep it. Uh, I, 
you know, absent this, we talked about this in the last hour with this kind of new rhetoric going on between Israel and the United States, or should I say Brzezinski and Israel, and <laughs> that, you know, uh, that's the plan. Destroy Israel, destroy the United States, destroy the major superpowers, and maybe this is just the cataclyst to do that, James. This, this won't be World War Three as we were told, but it will be enough conflict and enough violence and, uh, and it will cost enough that people will be going, why are we doing this? Why don't we just have a wonderful one world government where we all get along? I mean, this is kind of how we're being led by the nose. So I don't really feel too bad being a little bit nationalist today. Well, I, I, I see what you're saying, and I, I agree that the end goal of all of this militarism and, and, and uh, basically wars in general is to steer us into uh, accepting world government. I mean, that's where it, where it inevitably tends, and we saw that obviously at the end of World War One, the creation of the League of Nations, World War II, and the creation of the United Nations, and... Uh, you know, if they get World War Three off the ground, I have no doubt that, uh, that there will be some new uh, wonderful world government body waiting for us on the other side of that cataclysm. And uh, and again, this is uh, something that they've talked about openly, and uh, we have the uh, the testimony of the the insiders who've seen the Carnegie meeting minutes from 1908, talking about well, what what better way to steer the the the, uh, the, the nation into a completely different mindset than war, et cetera, et cetera. So Mind um, you, you're talking about the Carnegie Fa- uh, Foundation for Peace. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. What a Thanks wonderful to the name. Commissions. We found that out. Yeah. 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 No, and and uh, and anyone who's looked into this and seen for example the creation of the United Nations from the same group of people who are in charge of the foreign policy at the State Department via their their organ at the Council on Foreign Relations and um of course that itself goes back to the banksters who who helped to form that group and uh, it's just one big interconnected group um, that stretches throughout history and continues to 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 be there and the interesting thing i've seen there's kind of a meme developing in recent weeks where there's been all sorts of exposés even in the quote-unquote mainstream talking about the deep state suddenly this is becoming something that uh, people are allowed to talk about i guess and we just had on billmoyers.com of all places some big expose of the deep state state being um uh published uh and people who haven't checked that out can can go check it out right now it's under a, a title essay anatomy of the deep state by mike lofgren and uh it's as far as mainstream coverage of this goes it's not that bad at least it's it shows that the uh the party politics in washington is a complete smokescreen and that the real um business happens behind the scenes the second half of the article, of course, turns it into a whitewash, but um, but it's just one of many deep state analyses that are coming out these days. Although the uh, best one that I've read in recent days has been one that was posted on LouRockwell.com, a, a uh, Peter Dale Scott uh, deep state that goes into some of the real um, uh, deep state analysis. But that's from 2000, 2008, 2009. So uh, so anyway, this is coming to the, the, to the fore, and uh, hopefully that's to the good, um, that people will start to look behind the, the, the ridiculous Washington facility and start to see that it's the really the same group that's puppeteering all of this behind the scenes. And uh, basically, they, they love war for so many reasons, including the fact that it brings us that one step closer towards world government. 
Yeah, I've done some events with Peter Dale Scott. Great guy. Very, very old. <laughs> kind of like Robert Galen Ross. You got, man, what are you, 90, dude? And you're still doing this? And, you know, I feel tired sometimes at 50. So it, it, it definitely motivates me. I just got this in from Joel Redacted, a contributor to our show and our website. He actually has a great new article on the website today, deadlinelive.info. And that uh, goes forward in the scroller over to radiofreeblood.com, March 4th anniversary of the u.s bankruptcy of 1933 so that's maybe why we're hearing that the economy will collapse tomorrow uh people are still living in 1933 or could that be it i i don't know i i read through that washington times article and there's no reason given for that specific date but it does say march 4th 2014 but there's there's no reason that they give for it so i i have no idea what this is based on but hey maybe maybe it's i gotta uh, think yeah it's that I got a thing today from some conservative website. I'm on their mailing list, and they said if we send them money, that somehow we could avoid this tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just give your money to the witch doctor. I'm sure he'll be able to make it all better. Reminds me of uh, we were taking on Wolfgang. You know, Wolfgang, the new uh, Wolfie, as I call him, uh, Habig. He's uh, the new Judy Wood of, of Sandy Hook. And boy, Uh, my audience let me have it. I'll tell you what, man. uh, They are sold on this guy who wants to take in millions of dollars to get the truth to prove that Sandy Hook uh, was a giant hoax and uh, never happened. Well, my hat's uh, off to you for for being one of the people against that tide of of opinion because I know that uh, I've gotten a lot of uh, my own listeners emailing me and saying that this guy's the second coming of something. And uh, I think, yeah. It's interesting. His main message is, I want to raise lots and lots and lots of money. That was the main part of the message yeah. that I took away. Well, Jim Fetzer, this is his new <laughs> prodigy. <laughs> that guy's busy, man. He does lie. Listen, I keep an open mind, though, James. I, though we've never proved that anything like this has ever happened before, at least in the United States, I, I just can't find anything that where a mass shooting like this uh, never happened um, so there's really no precedent for it. However, there's all kinds of precedents for it being a black op. I'm sorry. I mean, if it's something, it's probably that. Um, psychological warfare on the United States, uh, people of the United States. And it's kind of where I'm coming from if it's something, because obviously there's a cover-up going on. But um, I just opened up that can of worms. I'm sorry to even to even bring you down that path. Let's go back to the Ukraine for a minute and, and Crimea. Um, keeping in mind that the revolution has been won, the leadership has been replaced with IMF and the other MF uh, friendlies, um, the Yats, right? But in Egypt, that didn't work so good. And Tunisia didn't work so good. They had second and third revolutions and deposed yet another leader. Do you see that maybe that happening in Ukraine? Well, clearly the the bottle has been uncorked, and I don't know if there's a way to put it back on. I mean, uh, it was interesting. I was uh, interviewing William Engdahl about this last week, and he was he was talking about this and saying that basically he thinks it's going to split um the country is going to split into the eastern and western halves and they're they're going to actually split there's going to be a, a civil war of, t- of some sort and then a secession and uh he we were literally just finished that conversation and i checked the latest news and then this this whole crimean thing was was breaking out so um so i think i think ultimately i think he's right i don't think that the uh, the country is going to cohere and maintain as a country as a single country for very long um, and at the very least, Crimea is going to break off. And uh, I don't think there's going to be a way to put that back in the bottle. 
and right. uh, and maybe other sections of the eastern part of Ukraine, w- which are predominantly uh, ethnic Russian and people identify Russian as their main language. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a lot of consensus there about having these um, people from the yeah. West. These, these well, that's an astute observation. Um, I can't, can't remember the name of the guy's uh, name of this guy, but apparently he's one of the people pushing to break California up into a few different states, and he's one of the guys on the front lines advising the new leadership in Ukraine. Hmm. Yeah, you know, there's something there. Yeah, well, I can't say I'm surprised. But yeah, no, I I think to a certain extent. Poker table. War at the poker table. The house of Rothschild always wins. We'll be right back with James Corbett after this. It's a Jack Blood show. Oh, you declared war. Well, guess what? So did we. KMFDM, I can't tell you what that stands for, World War III. Well, a lot of people think it is. Uh, Man, it's just another phony Cold War, but uh, things tend to get out of hand a little bit. I love the the, uh, portraits of of Obama versus Putin. Putin with shirt off and uh, uh, all built up, former KGB officer, you know, a martial arts expert and, and wimpy little smoker and intellectual allegedly, Cousin Barry Obama. James Corbett is with us from the Corbett Report. That's easy to put in any search engine. You'll find it. He does a number of podcasts and writes for all different kinds of people, including his economic news for the international forecaster, RIP Bob Chapman. And he's just a very, very busy guy out of Japan and a good ally, good friend of the show and a good ally to truth in general. James, thanks again for being with us. Always happy to be here. All right. Well, that's my introduction for the uh, second part of the of the show today. That's how it rolls. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Here we go. Start now. All right. Um, anything you want to add to uh, the developing story of Russia and China versus Europe and the United States? Oceania, in other words, versus Eurasia, World War Three. Anything you want to cap off? Because I thought you brought some killer information in the first hour. Uh, you executed perfectly. But anything you want to add just so that we can make sure we're done? Well, should we tie this into the recent terror attack in China? That's just where I was going. Uh, Here it is, the headline today. China's 9-11. Z orders terrorism crackdown after the deadly knife rampage, which um, ended up after it was all said and done, killed 33 people. Why is it me? Why are all the victims? Why is it always 33 people in these victims? Is they kill when they only have 31? I think they had 29 at first, which is uh, an 11 for you numerological New World Order calling card people. But do they kill like the last few guys to get it to 33? I mean, what? Why is it always? Is it just me? I keep no noticing this 33 victims wherever i go but um here it is this is problem reaction solution uh, it's all done people were starting to feel a little bit free in china and not anymore here's their 9-11 right on cue uh, give us your analysis please james well for people who don't know this took place at the kunming rail railway station in kungmin which is the capital of yunnan province in southwest china but having said Southwest China, it, it's still, it's bordering um, Laos, Vietnam, um, Malaysia, that area. Um, sorry, not Malaysia. Um, uh, but uh, that, that's, that sort of, that area. And 
This is related, apparently, to the Xinjiang separatist forces, the, um, what they want to call East Turkestan, um, which, of course, is bordering more on the Pakistan region and, uh, and around that side of China. So this is really uh, thousands of miles away from the, the East Turkestan-Xinjiang region where this terror is supposedly coming from. And, and the latest on that is um, they found East Turkestan forces flags at uh, the, the, the railway station. But basically what literally happened is... a false flag. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, well, exactly. Could be quite literally a false flag, but, um, but could be real. Who knows? Um, the, uh, so the official word, as you say, it was 29, apparently now 33 people dead, um, at least 143 injured, as at least 10, more than 10, um, they're saying, terrorist um, suspects attacked people in the in the square in front of the station and in the ticket hall of the station with knives. Um, I can't even imagine what a scene like that would have looked like or how that would have went down, but uh, I, at any rate, um, a lot of bloodshed and carnage apparently taking place there. Well, well, hold in- on, let's stop for one second. This is really weird. There are pictures from the crime scene. We, we don't get those over here, uh, just to, to remind people. That's why there's all this speculation about what happened at Sandy Hook. We don't get to see anything here. We don't get to see any evidence at all. For, we just got to totally take their word for it. Um, it was crazy. There were people hacking at people like crazy. They, they didn't stop to look. They were just going in and hacking and hacking and hacking and I mean, just hundreds of people, bloody and dead people all over the place. If that had happened in this country, not only would we not have any pictures of the crime scene, right? But they would have whittled it down into a lone nut with three names by the end of the <laughs> Yes, you're exactly right about that. Well, I, I, I tweeted, um, perhaps in bad taste, that if this had happened in, in America, they'd be licensing knife owners tomorrow and bombing Ginsu factories the day after that. But um, but yeah, no, it is it is just a bizarre story. And uh, I actually hadn't seen the images, but I'm just looking at, uh, at it in an image search right now. And it is just mind-boggling. It's horrific to, to look at. Um, and how does this how does this occur? Well, we have to, I think, to understand what's going on here, we, we should go back at least to the beginning of the year where there was a rather strange story that came out about um, a terror attack that had taken place right there in the heart of Beijing um, in the Tiananmen Square area. In fact, right in front of, across from Tiananmen Square in the entrance to the Forbidden City, um, which is, for people who don't know, um, I've, I've been there, I've, I've stood there. It is an exceptionally well-protected part of Beijing, as you might imagine. Um, with the Tiananmen Square, they're not going to allow anything like that to happen any ever again. So they have uh, basically military uh, patrols marching around outside there, and it's uh, a well-protected area. But at the beginning of the year, there was this strange story that uh, it, it started out being reported as a car crash um, at right there at, at the entrance of the Forbidden City that a, a car had just gone off the road and, and killed a few people. It later turned out it was a terrorist incident. They had they had purposefully slammed into people waiting on the side of the road to get into the Forbidden City. Um, and this was perhaps the the beginning of this this era, era of terror, because there's been, of course, a lot of terror in the uh, Xinjiang region with the separatists who want to break away and form this Turkestan, uh, East Turkestan. But uh, but that, that terror has um, 
for the most part, been confined to Xinjiang in that region. But now we're seeing um, even in Beijing, even in the heart of Beijing, even in Yunnan province, um, places that literally thousands of miles away, um, they're starting to see some of these attacks taking place. So that shows that this is gathering steam in some way. And the question is, what kind of false flag is this if it is indeed a false flag? And this really goes to the, the heart of the issue because people who watched my uh, Gladio B series with, uh, with Sibel Edmonds knows that part of the Gladio B operation includes uh, funding of Islamic uh, extremists in, in, uh, in China's doorstep, including this East Turkestan movement. And in fact, we had the person proclaiming, pro- proclaiming himself as the, the leader, the president of this Turkestan, um, living in the United States and, uh, and being buddy-buddy with uh, the Gulen, uh, Gulenists. So uh, this goes right into the heart of uh, Operation Gladio B operations and the, basically the, the, the encirclement of, of China, uh, which is another part of this, this strategy of tension that's being uh, sowed on in Central Asia and on the doorstep of Russia and China right now. And I think we have to start looking in that direction as we see this, this terrorist uh, shadow boogeyman force in China starting to gain, gain force and starting to do these spectacular attacks that no one would have thought they would have been capable of uh, just a few months ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, Gladio or the NATO option, it, it almost sounds more like the former, though they're basically the same thing, because we don't know. I mean, first of all, we don't know if this is a false flag at all, but we've got to look at it because of who benefits. And there's a lot of questions I would have on this. It's I'm all even put to you here. But what you're saying, I think what I hear you saying is that maybe this isn't China doing it to itself in order to crack down further, because I don't think they really even need need something to crack down further on their citizens. They're pretty good at doing that right now, and no one seems to be able to stop them. But maybe that this was fomented outside of their borders in order to help destabilize them or uh, just cause panic and confusion and psychological terror. That's my sense, because uh, as you say, I don't think that the the, the Chinese government really wants or desires big large scale terror attacks um to to wield their muscles because of course they they already do have um incredible control over the chinese population except of course the the chinese population does rise up from time to time and they do have protests and marches and things that uh, the the government tries to crack down on but i don't think they need these types of terror attacks to keep people in line um i think this doesn't really play into their their benefit at all I think this might be a genuine Xinjiang separatist force attack, but uh, but the question is who's funding, training, equipping, and otherwise enabling the Xinjiang terrorists. And uh, and again, if we listen to people like Sibel Edmonds, this goes right to the doorstep of Operation Gladio B and the NATO operations that are taking place in Central Asia right now to fund the Islam Islamists and to to give them the money and ability and training and funds in order to do these types of attacks. And it would at, at very at the very least explain why suddenly these these people are so much more um, capable of committing attacks um, and and staging them even in faraway areas of China that they previously haven't been had access to. I don't see how the uh, ETIM, East Turkestan Islamic Movement, would benefit from this. Personally, they're going to be chased and persecuted, and, and they're going to light their you know camps on fire, and they're going to hunt these people down. Anyone that's even slightly associated with them is going to Gitmo or their version of it. You know, It's the same thing here. People like to joke and say Al-Qaeda won because we gave up all of our rights and all the money this has cost us, you know, but... The other part of it isn't funny if you're one of the million people that have died in in that part of the region through the sanctions, the wars, and uh, poverty and everything that's come with it. So 
uh, you know, it's it's a tough one. I'm I'm glad you're putting down your analysis on it. it, it also, I, this is what I look for. Okay, prior knowledge. Did China have any prior knowledge, or did anyone have prior knowledge this event? What happened? A stand down. What happened to the security? Um, you know, four guys uh, killed by the police, one captured, but others got away. So uh, obviously, they did this almost without impunity. Uh, just going in and hacking people up and then walking out of there. And then, of course, a cover-up uh, on the facts. But nice we get to actually see the pictures here. I, I, I don't, you know, uh, I don't get off on, on that kind of violence, but I do want to be able to see what happened so that we can see it for ourselves and not just take someone's word for it. So these are all things, since it's just happened over the weekend, these are all things I guess we could look into. But since it happened in China, we'll probably forget about it in about two days. Well, that's it. I'm I'm surprised that uh, that a lot of people in the U.S. have even heard about this. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think this will be swept, swept under the rug quite quickly. But I think it will have lingering effects in China, certainly. Mm. Uh, we we dabbled in the economy. Um, anything you want to put down? I know you do some economic forecasting, and uh, again, people are are you know coming up with some pretty bad news uh, on the economy. Though on the flip side of the coin, right? What do I see? People patting Obama on the back for uh, bringing the economy back from the ultimate brink of destruction. And even though it costs, you know, tens of trillions of dollars in debt to do that uh, with the stimulus and the bailouts. And a lot of people don't even count the bailouts of Europe, which we did here with our Federal Reserve notes. Um, and how might it play in our debt play into China owning, um, you know, uh, upwards to a trillion, more than a trillion dollars of our debt? So. So kind of get into that, if you could, to tell us not what people are afraid is going to happen in some dire fear porn prediction, but what will happen. Well, that, that's a pretty tall order. Oh, OK. Yeah. Well, let me tell you what will happen. Um, well, I think we're going to see more of the same from the Federal Reserve. And I think for as as many people would uh, give Obama some sort of credit for this, I think that the uh, the smart money would uh, would put all of this this happiness and wonderfulness at the doorstep of the Federal Reserve. And of course, former chairman uh, ben, ben Bernanke, who opened up the floodgates and uh, dropped the uh, the bales of money from his helicopter as he promised he would before he became Fed chairman. And now we have of course, Janet Yellen, who's going to, I think, stay the course for the most part, and they may taper um, by another $10 billion here and there um, in terms of their quantitative easing program that's ongoing. But um, at the end of the day, it's still going to be maintained. They're still going to be having an exceptionally easy money policy because they want that uh, that money to, to flood the markets um, at any rate, if not the actual productive economy. And I think we have to see that there's basically been a complete continuity of agenda at the Federal Reserve. Surprise, surprise with this with this changeover. But I I mean, I, I think that the 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 uh, when and if the big the big events start happening, I'm not convinced they're going to happen in the U.S. economy directly. I think they're going to be knock on effects from other places like, for example, Japan, which I think is in a much more precarious position with its own um version of quantitative easing going on here. And uh, I think some really unpredictable and unforeseen things that, that could occur as a result of this, and in fact are already starting to occur. We've seen after all of these uh, uh, trillions of yen being flooded into the, the Japanese markets, we've seen this huge run-up of the Nikkei um, over the past year, but that's starting to, to, to fizzle out. Basically, uh, there's there was a slight bump in G GDP here during the, the beginning of this Abenomics period. That's already starting to fizzle out. 
And now what we have is uh, dwindling returns on this. And it, the worst part about all of this is that um, the, the, the economic activity here in Japan, uh, any, any bump whatsoever in economic activity has been caused by the fact that they're about to raise the sales tax here by another 3%. So people are front-loading on purchases, trying to you know, buy their big-ticket items before that happens. So there, there may have been some slight increase in economic activity here before um, this, this changeover happens but come april 1st there's going to be a huge drop off and that's going to be another another way to drag on the japanese economy and for people who don't know i mean the the yen carry trade is still an exceptionally important part of the the markets in the united states and basically people who watch the the markets can tell you that the usd jpy uh, index the 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 exchange rate between the the yen and the dollar is directly tied into the S&P 500. Every time there's a tick upwards in USD JPY, oh, yeah. you see the the S&P following suit. Every time a tick downward, you see the S&P following suit. So when and if that starts to unwind and the uh, and the yen really starts crashing, then we're going to have some significant problems. Yeah, well, I mean, we saw this I've actually talked about this a little bit in the first hour how the Federal Reserve globalized and and put us on this theory that if one domino falls, we all fall. Uh, this kind of when we bailed out Mexico during the uh, Clinton administration, it kind of set the standard to to where now, you know, a country or another uh, uh, bank is too big to fail. So now it's on us. And I think really what we look at, if we're just looking at this in very simple terms, there is a massive stock bubble that's been forming since the uh, subprime meltdown in 2007 and 2008. Massive. I mean, probably bigger than we've ever seen. Uh, it's right up there anyway. Plunge protection team working overtime to keep that thing, that uh, train on the tracks. But that can't go on forever. The profits that we're seeing from some of the bigger uh, companies are fake. It's just totally fake. I mean, they're just moving paper around again, just like they did before. So that can't hold. At some point, the bubble explodes and all the real wealth gets sucked into the usual pockets. No, you're exactly right about that. And we've seen um, the markets detaching more and more from economic reality in terms of historical uh, price to earnings ratios and what what has been average in the markets versus what what's happening these days and we've seen this complete detachment taking place and of course we have the usual talking heads on Wall Street saying oh this is this is good this is the new normal and anytime yeah. talking heads on Wall Street start talking about the new normal you better start bracing because something's something's happening and I think uh, yeah we can definitely see that the the there it is it is just a huge bubble that's taken place really what it is it's a huge bond bubble. Um, and even the, the Bank of England admits this is the largest bubble, bond bubble in the history of humanity that they have intentionally blown over the last several years with all of this quantitative easing in the US and the, the UK and uh, Europe and Japan and everywhere else besides. Um, this huge bond bubble has been blown and that's really what's, what's lifted and supported these unrealistic markets where we have the S&P and Dow Jones continuing to hit these all-time highs even on the back of no productivity, uh, very little um, in terms of employment. I mean, just just ridiculously low numbers, and yet we keep seeing these record highs. What can be the disconnect? It is being supported by the, this bond bubble that's been blown. So um, the, the bond markets are the things to watch, and uh, when and if they lose control of the interest rates, that's where... The, uh, the the this uh, yeah you know the, the the rubber meets the road in terms well, of what are we seeing here? Let's look at the trend that we've seen. Um, I, I like to look at these trends. So basically, at the end of the uh, 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 Clinton administration, right, just as we were getting ready to switch over to the next uh, guy with a different color tie, 
we had the dot-com crash, okay? Credit became non-existent. Again, real wealth, trillions of dollars just sucked out of the market overnight. Then we built up the bubble, the real estate bubble, and just before the baton was going to be passed, the Carol Quigley baton was going to be passed again to the guy with the blue tie, again, market crash, a subprime meltdown. So I think if we're looking at the trend, wouldn't we automatically go, well, this will be the year before that Obama's uh, leaving for Jeb Bush to come in and take office. And by, we know the federal bankers aren't, aren't huge fans of the Bush family. They've been pretty mean to them over the years. <laughs> that's what they say, anyway. Um, so that's kind of what I'm seeing, is that um, it'll be about a year before Obama's out, just enough time to to blame him a little bit and pass the baton to the next guy and create the next bubble to suck even more wealth out. But I don't know if we have too many go-arounds with this. By the way, it's Charles Ponzi's birthday today. <laughs> you didn't hear Perfect uh, for what we're talking about. Pyramid scheme, Ponzi scheme, what have you. But so, so what's left to take? What is left to take now but people's pensions and, and all of that? And that's, that's where we're going to really see the fires lit in the street of, the, of uh, America anyway. Right. It's the old IMF riot formula that has been identified. Um, of course, your, uh, your friend Greg Pallas did some great reporting on that back in uh, 2001, that, that era, um, blowing the lid off of the, the, the whole IMF plan of how they go in and gut economies and get people and get people to riot as part of that plan um, to justify going in and, and maintaining order by doing all sorts of extreme emergency measures and uh, selling off the, the public infrastructure at pennies on the dollar to the cronies who are on the inside of this scheme and that is going to come home to uh, to the streets of the United States at some point and we've seen the build up to that for many many years if we're looking at economic cycles or or, or patterns or, or something to decipher in in the uh, in in the noise of the data um, something that people have pointed out is that um, for, the, for there's there's a history going back a couple of uh, Fed chairpersons now, um, as they come in, uh, economic crises seem to happen shortly thereafter. So you had, for example, uh, Greenspan taking over just before the 1987 um, Black Black Friday event, where the, the the markets crashed there in '87. Now we got Janet Yellen in, so that could be a trend. Exactly, then. and and Bernanke comes in in February 2006, right before the housing market crashes and now we have Yellen coming in so is she going to have some trial by fire type event and uh, <laughs> is, is that a harbinger or something to come well and she's already uh, kind of affected the markets by saying you know the 60 I, I was always saying it was 30 but I found out later it was 60 billion dollars going to the discount window to Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan and Citibank and Chase and uh, zero almost at zero interest it's like a p- part of a 1% or something free money <laughs> They're going to cut it by $10 billion. So it's now only going to be $50 billion of your money in ones and zeros going to Wall Street to, to create and further their, their monopolies. But you, you make a good point. A new Federal Reserve chair generally isn't uh, working out so good for Americans. i got about 30 seconds left, so put it on the record, James. Anything you want to say? Anything you want to promote? Uh, you're putting me on the spot. Well, all I can say is I'm, I'm, my mind is swimming right now as I'm putting together my, my Federal Reserve documentary, which I'm really hoping will be out on Friday, uh, this weekend at any rate. And, uh, I hope people will stay tuned for that. It's going to be up on my site 100% for free. And, uh, and I've really been pouring my heart and soul into this for, for months now. So I hope, uh, I hope that it comes across in the way that I want it to come across. We'll put it that way. Yeah. And you also work for, I believe, like a dollar a month subscription to a lot of the things that you do, though you do um, offer most of your podcasts for free at CorbettReport.com. Uh, but please, again, vote with your money and let's keep uh, James and his uh, new family. Uh, let's keep them eating 
and let's keep a roof over their head and uh, give them a bed to sleep in. I don't think you're asking too much, James. Well, I would appreciate that. Um, actually, uh, all of my podcasts are free, but uh, but you're right. And and I do rely on subscriptions. I do rely on the kindness of strangers. And uh, people have been very generous. So I, I do appreciate all the people who have subscribed. And if there are any of my subscribers listening, please subscribe to Jack. Yeah, before I run out of time, I your listeners are great and always help me. So my listeners, please go help James Corbett and keep him going. All right. Hey, good job, James. Really appreciate it. Stay bald, brother. Thank you. We'll be back tomorrow. Same time, same channel. Jack White Show. Stay bold. Mighty Forces will come to your aid. Late.